last week we talked about getting to know someone, and we talked about when you first meet somebody, you're kind of doing a little bit of an assessment whether you know it or not. Like, do I like this person? Is this someone I'd like to hang out with more? And as they talk, you're learning about them, who they are and what they're about and what they value, whether they're listening to you, whether um, what they're saying about other people is you know kind and loving, and, or whether it's kind of mean. Um, and as time goes on, you're going to discover more and more about that person. Either you're going to like them, or you're not. Um, as Christians, we're called to love everybody, but maybe there's some people that you love, but you're kind of like, man, they're kind of a little bit hard, and I don't li- like them um, super much, but I still love them anyway. And then we talked about, you know, what would make somebody um, trustworthy? What would you want to see in them that would say, I trust that person. Like, I would leave my kids with them, or I would let them drive my car, or, or whatever it may be. Like, I trust them. And then we also said, what makes somebody lovable, where you're like, Oh, this person is just easy to love. I want to spend time with them. I want to hang out with them. Um, I want to you know, talk to them on the phone. And we, we did that. This week, we're going to do the opposite. We're going to flip to think about the opposite side. Imagine you're getting to know someone. And what would be, uh, what would make someone um, difficult to trust? Last week, we did trustworthy. But what would make someone difficult to trust? And we'll just brainstorm and put um, our thoughts up here. Get around here. It's all right. Um, difficult to trust. Seeing all the married people aren't speaking up right now. Wow. They lie. Mix it up, Larry. Mix it up. Yes, they lie, Katie says. Ooh, I should change color. And I'm not what color should I make it? Right. Wow. Wow, first person to speak up. Okay, well, this is going well. Um, so if someone's difficult to trust is they lie. They won't just tell you the truth. They might not keep their word. Don't keep their word. Unreliable. Say they're going to do something. Past experience. Basically, you're saying, right? Yeah. Oh, yes. To describe that word. Are you talking about trusting with responsibilities or trusting with. Whatever. If you want to trust them to do something or trust them to tell them something. Or maybe you're like, I don't want her to tell them something because I don't know if I trust them or. Um, trust them with your stuff. Yes, but when gossip, gossip, they gossip. Like they'll talk about me or other people. Like if I hear them being like, "Oh, blah blah, about somebody that I know." Maybe they'll say it about you. They're harsh. Foolish, harsh. Their actions don't. Correspond with their words, so like, or a hypocrite, or yeah. you could also maybe call it two-faced. Maybe they say one thing but do another. I just, I just didn't want to write that whole thing out. <laughs> That's, That's okay. What you said. It's understandable. All right. Anything uh, else makes people difficult to trust? Lack of eye contact in conversations. Or disengaged. Mm-hmm. Lack of eye contact. What would that say about somebody? What do you, what do you uh, I'm just. So, like you said, disinterest. Yeah, disengaged. Like disengaged. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, body no language. Eye body language is a good answer. Yeah. No eye contact, then we'll add disengaged. Or apathetic, maybe. What are you saying? Apathetic. Okay. You would, so all these things would make us be like, 
you know, I don't know if I want to trust this person to like, will you pick me up from the airport? Or would you babysit my kids? Or like, would you take care of my car? Um, or like, oh, I'm going to tell you this thing that's really like this big pain in my life. Like, I'm going to tell you something that's really hurt me. And like, these would all be things that would make us um, make someone difficult to trust. I'm remembering something last week. I think we said uh, someone you could trust, they're competent. You know they can do it. So maybe like if you're, you wouldn't ask somebody to fix your car, you weren't like, if you're like, man, you fixed like 10 cars before and they all kind of broke. Um, so I don't know if you're competent to do this. Incompetent sounds like a bad word, but like, but I guess I'll put it down. Or irresponsible. Irresponsible. Okay, let's do, what makes someone um, difficult to love? So they never reach out to you or never pursue you or yeah. never. Yeah. Or maybe it's like show they care. Mm-hmm. I'm grateful. Mm. Yeah. I'm grateful. Prone to anger. Prone <clears throat> to anger. Quick temper. I think similar to above, like if they lie or don't keep their word, it's hard to love them. If it happens with mm-hmm. mm-hmm. A lot of this stuff we could categorize almost under hurt, like they hurt you. Makes them difficult to love. Mm-hmm. Abusive. Mm-hmm. Hurtful. Like if you don't feel like you have a ton in common, sometimes it's hard to be able to connect with someone, so it's hard to welcome. No common interest. Absent. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Oh, they're just not even around. Just like, how do I yeah. love you? Yeah. Could say uh, they're distant too. Yeah. Can be absent and be present at the same time. Sure. Yeah, for sure. Physically, emotionally. Selfish. Selfish. Or just selfish. Just use you. Oh, use you, yeah. Using you. Uncompassionate. Okay. I don't know if that was sort of in some of those other words. Yeah. Uncompassionate. Okay. Yeah, so those. So we have this list, which is probably, um, if we had our list from last week, is maybe a lot of the. Uh, kind of the opposites, the opposite side of it. Um, we do this because we'll come back to that later. Um, and then if you want, you can join us in the front. There, that was my seat. You, can sit. All. you just want to be in the back. Back <laughs> off. <laughs> Sorry. <laughs> okay. You'd write something up here. Making me come to the front, difficult to love. <laughs> back off, Mitch. Anyway. Yes, so we've finish this opening section of the book of Genesis, Genesis 1 through 11, 
um, which is telling us, you know, what, how is everything supposed to be? That's chapters one and two. And how did everything get not the way it's supposed to be? Basically, how how the world get like it is now if that's how it was in Genesis one and two? And then this is kind of like a breaking point in the book because in chapter twelve, God's going to start um, initiate His specific plan um, for fixing this whole problem, for bringing blessing instead of curse, and restoring our relationship with him, restoring our relationship with each other, restoring um, the world. And so he's going to start that specific plan. But then throughout the rest of the book, um, as we talked about last week, we're going to meet this cast of characters um, who God says, I'm going to use you, but then they're far from perfect. They're very imperfect people. They have doubts and fears and selfishness, and they have trouble. You know, you could describe them with a lot of these words. They have trouble with these things. Some of them are manipulative, and some of them, some of them lie, and they just... It's like, these are the people God is going to use for his purposes to bring restoration and blessing um, to the rest of the world. And it's like, well, yes, he is. And that should kind of sound familiar to us because it's like, uh, well, the same thing God says to us. Like, we all have this mixed bag of, you know, fear and things. You know, we do all this stuff. You know, Lord willing, they're being worked out of our life by the Holy Spirit's power. Um, but we are a mixed bag of good and bad. And yet God says, through my people, through the church, I'm going to invite people to know me, and I'm going to bring restoration um, to people's relationships through this this group of people. Um, but if we would be asking, looking at all their struggles, we'd be wondering, well, why do they have them? Why do they doubt God? Why do they fail to love others? Why are they so selfish? And um, why do they make these poor choices, and why do they sin? If we didn't have chapters 1 through 11, um, we said last week that um, we would kind of be like doctors sitting in our doctor's office with patient after patient walking in, telling us all their symptoms, like, I'm having these problems, I'm selfish, I'm sinning, I'm having trouble loving people. And we'd hear all these symptoms and be like, yeah, but I don't know what's wrong with you. It'd be kind of like we never went to medical school, but yeah, we're it's expected to diagnose all these patients. Um, but Je- Genesis 1 through 11 tells us the truths about God and humanity and sin and how it's all supposed to be so that we are able to diagnose um, the sin in our lives, um, our struggles to love people, our struggles with selfishness. We can diagnose them in our lives. Um, in other people's lives, and these characters we're going to meet in Genesis. So that's kind of how we're going to go about it as we go through. And um, as I said, our lives aren't unlike theirs. At times we see them flourishing, and at times we see them struggling. And so look at our two potted plants. Uh, Last week we talked about, well, what makes this kind of plant? What makes a green plant, you know, living and um, able to reproduce and do all these things? What makes that plant? And this is, we worked on this last week. We'll come back to this a little more, but... Um, we, when we trust God and love God, um, we flourish and live. And so that's, so we talked about like, well, who is God? What, who is this God that we can trust and love? And um, we talked about all these things, and this is how we have this. And so sometimes our lives feel like this, and sometimes these characters in the book, their lives look like that. Um, but on the other side, we have this plant um, that sometimes our lives feel like that, a little bit dry and crackly, and our leaves have all fallen off, and like, man, I'm dead or almost there. And sometimes these characters are like, really? Like, that's who God is going to use? This is who God says, you know, I'm going to bless you and you're going to be a blessing to the whole world? Like, really? And their lives look kind of like that. You'd expect him to pick, you know, the most awesome people with plants like this. But he has a bunch of plants like this that he chooses. And we may feel um, the same way. And so if you were to just diagnose yourself, we did this last week, um, but if you were to diagnose which one of these best describes your spiritual life right now, which one best describes your relationship with God. So just, you know, take 10 seconds to think about that. Maybe it's in between.
wherever you place yourself, um, I'd imagine most of us are probably somewhere in between. Um, and But this week we're going to talk about, well, how do we move, like if we're over here, how do we move closer this way? We're going to talk about like, what's the way that we do that and move to having more life. And last week we covered this principle. I already said it. When we trust and love God, we flourish and live. The principle for today is this. Um, when we doubt and reject God, we wither and die. So last week it was when we trust and love God, we flourish and live. The principle for day, today is when we doubt and reject God, we wither and die. And those are opposites. Trust and doubt are opposite. Love and reject are opposites. So when we doubt and reject God, we wither and die. And so we're going to talk about um, why do we doubt and reject God. And then we'll talk about the key to moving further to being more like the living plant that's flourishing and living. And when Genesis opened, we met God. Genesis 1 and 2, everything is as it's supposed to be. Um, God and humanity, they're living together in a loving and trusting relationship. There's no sin. There's no selfishness. There's just um, humanity at home with God. And then something happens in Genesis 3, which we read. Um, There's the serpent, which is a creature in rebellion against God, comes to the first humans, Adam and Eve, and he gets them to believe a lie about God. Up to this point, they know nothing but good from God. You know, God's a good creator. He gives them good things. He created them in a good state. And so all they know is goodness from God. They trust him to provide, to give direction, to protect them. Um, and we, this, you can see this. Like These are all the things that they're experiencing um, from God and how life was supposed to be. Um, but the serpent convinces them that God wasn't as good as, he thought, as they thought he was. And the serpent, he's a rebel against God. And a rebel, by definition, is someone who opposes the current person in, in power. God is in charge. He's in power. And so he's a rebel against God. But he knows, his problem is, he knows he can't actually dethrone God. You know, God is king, and he's always going to be king. So he can't actually, you know, a rebel wants somebody else to be in power. But he can't actually get God off the throne. But what, what he can get is for us to think someone else would be a better king than God is. He can get us to believe that it would be better if someone else were in charge. And if we believe that, then we won't live with God on the throne of our lives. He's still on the throne, but you know, we're not acting like him. That's you know, kind of the best he can do. But the, the other problem is that the serpent um, has is that God really is the best one to be in charge. His character is flawless. He's shown Adam and Eve nothing but good. He's a good creator and a good king. He always does what's good and right and perfect. And so it's not like he can come and be like, hey, Adam and Eve, like, Here's all these things God's kind of messed up in. Like, wouldn't you agree? Yeah, yeah, he's kind of messed up in that. Wouldn't somebody else be a better king? Like, there's no list of grievances he can bring to Adam and Eve because, like, well, no, actually, he's done you know everything perfectly. Like, we don't have anything to complain about. Um, and so, uh, he he needs to use a lie for them to think God is a bad king, and he needs to deceive them about who God is. He needs them to believe that God is someone that he isn't. And the, you know, that's the only way he's going to get them to rebel against God and think, you know what, somebody else would be a better king um, than this God we have as king now. And so the serpent uses deception. He gets them to believe a lie about who God is. And then that creates doubt. They stop trusting God. And they stop trusting what God said to them. Um, and then that leads to desire, desiring what God has said is off limits and then doing what God told them not to do. They define good and evil on their own terms. Um, They become wise in their own eyes, redefining what God told them is good. They're supposed to trust God as the one who's wise, who knows what's good and what's evil. And instead, they decide to define that in their own terms and be wise in their own eyes. 
which is a term the Bible uses a lot. In the words of Romans 1 that Brian read for us, they exchanged the truth about God for a lie. Instead of listening to the Creator, they listened to a created thing, listened to the serpent that was in rebellion against God. Instead of believing God's word, they started believing his word. And instead of believing the truth about God, they started believing this lie. They exchanged the truth for a lie. They believe that God isn't that good. He's holding out on them. It didn't have their best interests in, in mind. And they believe that sin isn't that bad, that they wouldn't die um, if they sinned and did this thing that God told them not to do. And so Adam and Eve stopped loving and trusting God because of a lie. They stopped living with God on the throne of their lives. And we do the same thing. We struggle with the same issue. We don't live with God on the throne of our lives. We have moments or many, many, many moments where we don't trust and love him. We don't do what he says because we believe lies about him. And last week we went through these four questions. Who's God? What does he do? Who are we? And what do we do? And we filled these all in. We used uh, something called the four G's, which is just four um, truths about God. I'll start with G. It doesn't cover, you know, there's other attributes we could talk about God, but these are a good, like, um, base of, like, this covers quite a bit about God. God is great. God is glorious. God is good. God is gracious. And then we talked about, okay, if God is those things, what does he do because he's great? What does he do because he's glorious, because he's good, gracious? Talked about that. And then we said, okay, if that's true about God, what does that mean would be true about who we are? Like, he, he is this, he does this, what would that mean is true of us? We talked about that, and then we said, what do we do? Well, since we're made in the image of God, we can do some of the things that God actually does because we're able to reflect um, his likeness and his image. And so we're going to go through, actually, the opposite um, of these four things I've got to somehow uh, get watch this whiteboard behind it. Nobody even knew about that. It's very fancy. <laughs> Let's see how fast I can get this to change over, though. So we are going to go through those four questions, um, but doing the opposite. I actually need to move this up. There's multiple levels. Let's look how cool this thing is. It's got one up here. If they can even fit in their slots. So we'll go through these four questions, but we'll do it for the opposite of um, all these, these four things um, because we believe these lies about God um, and so instead of the truth about God. Are you guys able to see from over there? Yes. I'm good. Kevin, doesn't mind if he sees or not. So who? <laughs> you can see through your head. <laughs> Whoa, <laughs> wow. You Oh, I thought you were making a joke about what's in between my ears. No. <laughs> That's fine. That's hey, fine, Heather. Wow. Hey, you're the one who said that. That's right. We're not getting off on a good foot here. Won't that. move off. So that's yeah. one of those people you can't trust that puts words into your mouth. Yeah. Okay. So the opposite of God being great will be God is weak because God's greatness means he's able to handle things. Like he's in control. Um, he can do what he says he can do because he's able, he's competent, um, he's powerful enough to do it. Uh, and then what God and what God does because he's weak. This would be a lie that we believe, by the way. He's weak. He can't, what can he do? Well, he can't do what he says. Um, he can't protect us. <clears throat> These sentences are too long. I can't but protect us. I mean, really, you could say you can't you know, follow through on what he promises because if somebody's unable 
um, and is weak and not powerful, how are they going to do um, what they say they're going to do? But also another thing about great, we could say, um, is that he's distant. Because God's greatness, we said, means he's in control. But if he's distant from us and not interacting with us, how can I trust him to do anything about what's going on in my life? Well, he's not in control of my life. He's distant. He's out there. He's doing his own thing. He's not doing anything in my life. So um, this is something I struggle with a lot is like if you ask me like, okay, well, like, this is this certain situation, um, I would usually answer, uh, well, what's God doing in this situation? Nothing. Um, or like, what do you believe about God in this situation? Well, I think he's distant. He's not helping me. He's not with me. Um, and he's, he's doing nothing. And so that's something I um, struggle with. And you can also say uh, not paying attention. Like, oh, God's distant. He's not in control. You know, someone who's not in control, um, they're, you're probably not paying attention or helping you. Um, so then what will we believe about ourselves if we, we're going we're gonna to uh, talk about the last question together and do that as a group. But if it, what's true about us, um, if you believe these things about God, um, you would say about yourself, well, he's not in control, so uh, I need to be. I need control. Or we'd say, like, I am control. I am in control, but <laughs> so often we're stressed and anxious because actually we're not in control. <clears throat> so that would be what's true about us. Like, okay, if that's who God is and that's what he's doing, okay, well, he's not doing much about the problems in my life. Well, I need control then. Um, secondly, uh, God is, um, instead of being glorious, which would mean he's weighty, he impresses, and he inspires, um, actually what's true about God the lie we believe is that he's unimportant. Well, let's put these together. Unimportant and unimpressive. And if God, if we believe God is unimportant and unimpressive, um, he's not going to carry much weight in our lives. We're kind of going to take him lightly. And so, um, like he's, like we said here, like if we, if God's impressive, we would be worshipful. But it's like, well, if he's unimportant and unimpressive, it's like, well, what's God doing? Well, nothing worthy of my worship, you know, because he's not really doing much of anything uh, that impresses me. You know, whatever he is doing, it's like, well, you know, someone else could do that or they could do it better than him. So it's like, well, you know, there's not much. But if you think about it, throughout, if, even what we see in the book of Genesis, um, God, he puts the the moon and the stars and the earth and the water and the dry land, he puts it all in place. He's in total control. So he's the opposite of weak. He's the opposite of distant. He's involved with his creation. Um, but then you can see um, how the, you know, when we need control or like we're trying to get security from uh, being in control, you see this in the people that built the Tower of Babel. They're saying like, we don't want to be spread out. Let's build this city um, so we can all stay in one spot. And so they're like, we're going to get security um, through building this tower. And so they're trying to seek for control. And then when it comes uh, to uh, God not being glorious and us not believing that, I mean, why wouldn't we think he's important or impressive? Because from the cells in our body um, to the galaxies out in the universe, God created all that. And that should make us go like, whoa, that uh, is someone I should be impressed with, um, who I should pay attention to. Um, but 
you know, one of the lie we believe is like, yeah, you know, shouldn't that be somebody we're like really keeping track of? Like, who do we keep? You know, people we follow on Twitter, or people we follow on the news. It's like, okay, what did President Trump do, or what did this actress do, or actor do? And we're like following these people we think is important, or like the royal wedding. How many people tuned into the royal wedding um, on over in Great Britain? We they're not even affected by that. Um, and it's like, okay, those are the people we really tune into. And it's like, well, you know, God's not super important for me to like tune into or spend my time. I'm thinking about him. But if we don't think God's important, um, what's going to happen is, is we're going to say, well, um, his opinion of me isn't that important, and he isn't very impressive, so whatever he says about me, like, ah, that's not, I can kind of go by the wayside. I need to get approval from other people. So what happens when God's unimportant to us, um, that means we don't, uh, his, what he says about us doesn't carry much weight, and so what other people says about, say about us is going to carry more weight. So we're going to say, um, I need approval, because we're kind of have this approval vacuum uh, we're supposed to get it from God and be seeking his approval, but we're going to try to get it from other people. Um, thirdly, uh, instead of God being good, uh, we might say, well, God is, this is one um, probably a lot of people think, is God's a party pooper. You know, instead of God being good, he's a party pooper. It's kind of weird to say that, put it up here. But here it is. You know. So what does God do as a party pooper? Uh, well, he sucks the fun out of my life. Sucks the fun out of there. We'll just it like, abbreviate it like that. Um, so God, he's kind of like, he comes in, he's the fun police. He doesn't really want me to enjoy anything. Um, he's going to make me follow all these rules, um, and I'm not going to really get to do the things I want to do. He's just going to suck the fun right out of the room, right out of my life. Um, and so if this is, we believe this about God, um, we might have, well, the opposite of good could also be, um, you know, a good person is going to tell the truth, so they'd be dishonest. Actually, the exact opposite of good, that's supposed to be, is bad. Yeah, good, bad, or evil. Um, and then in this case, well, God's holding out on us. You know, he's telling us, you know, do these things. I'm like, I'm trying to give you salvation. I'm trying to give you life. I'm trying to give you freedom. But actually, he's kind of being dishonest. He's holding out on us. So it's like, well, God's not very good. He's holding out on us. He's not giving us um, things that would be good. For us. And then actually, um, someone who's good um, wants what's best for you, but if he's bad, he wants what's worse for you. So that's what he's doing. That's what is worse for you. And then lastly, and then for us, if we, if God sucks enjoyment out, he doesn't give us joy, he doesn't give us satisfaction or pleasure in life, well then we're going to say, well, I need satisfaction elsewhere. By the way, these are all like kind of like basic needs we all have. Like we're all looking for pleasure and joy and satisfaction. We're all looking for approval in some in some way. And then control. We're all trying to. We're given a certain amount of responsibility in life that we're supposed to execute. And we're all look, you know the Hudson. We do a lot of control in his life, like helping him and making him safe and secure. And then we um, do that throughout all of our lives. So this is these are things we need. We're supposed to ultimately find them in God. And lastly, gracious, instead of gracious, God is grumpy and cold. There's a number of words I was thinking of for this, but grumpy and cold <laughs> could describe it. Um, and this is the opposite of God is gracious, because God's grace means he gives people what they don't deserve. And a word that I feel like is accurate to describe God is he's eager to love us. He's eager to bless us. Um, he's eager to forgive us. He's eager to give us 
um, to be pleased with our acts of obedience, no matter how imperfect they are. But as long as we were trying to please him and love him, like he's eager to give us that approval and pleasure. And with this, it's kind of like, you know, he's just kind of this grumpy guy um, who's just sitting with his arms crossed, and he's just kind of cold. And it's like, yeah, I don't, I'm not going to really do anything fun with you or for you or ever be really happy with you. And we kind of see God as not gracious. But that's the opposite of what we see throughout Genesis. Because even after um, people sinned, God is moving towards them. He's trying to bless them and help them and cover them. And even after immense patience with humanity, thousands of years um, before the flood, God is, when he has to finally send it to send this consequence, he said, what happened? He's grieved about it. And, so, and then he even saves Noah and his family out from the flood um, when it came. So if we believe that God's gracious, we won't be trying to earn his love and, and favor and um, approval. We'll already know that we have it. Um, and so what does God do if he's grumpy and cold? Uh, well, he withholds. You know, he's not, he doesn't want to give you anything. And whatever you give, um, I don't know how to say this shortly, but the image I have, like I said, you know, what's he doing? Well, he's waiting with arms crossed for us to prove ourselves. And if you prove yourself, you know, then maybe I'll give you something good in your life. Um, so I'm going to say he's crossing his arms, I guess. What's he doing? Crossing his arms, waiting for us to get our act together. And so if, that's, if this is what's true about God and we believe that, we're going to say, well, I need to prove myself. I'm contorting my body. You can do it. Thank you. <laughs> we were talking about that earlier. We thought Kevin would be the perfect stand-in, but... I'm just not pretty enough, let's be honest. Oh, I was going to say, there's a striking resemblance, um, but whatever. He's the perfect sin. Perfect. Um, and the other would be, you know, what do I need? I need to get my act together. It's kind of the same thing. Um, so what we're going to do, uh, if you look at some of these things, interesting, let's see if there's overlap. We wrote these things. What's makes someone difficult to trust or difficult um, to love? I don't know how to do this. I guess we'll stand up. Um, but, like, just take a look and see if we put some things down that are maybe overlap um, with some of this stuff uh, that we wrote. I mean, unreliable and incompetent. He's weak. He can't do what he, what he says he's going to do. Um, so, okay, then I need to take control of the situation. Um, they don't keep their word. You know, dishonest. We wrote it down there. Um, distant, disengaged, yeah. Disinterested, yeah. I don't know if we did much in this uh, category, but maybe that's one that's kind of more unique. Maybe we wouldn't say like, maybe we wouldn't say it out loud, but if you're impressed with somebody, like we were saying, all the people we follow um, on Twitter or Instagram that we don't even know, it's like we're impressed with those people with their lives, and so we like... Well, we don't follow common people. You follow people you think are special or famous, exactly. right? So if God becomes Have something to offer you. common, what's special about this? Yeah. Run-of-the-mill yeah. average person. I had hardly any followers on Twitter. Because I'm pretty common. But on the other side, other pastors are really known, and so they have lots of followers. Like, oh, they can offer me something, and I like, want to be following their life. Why is Katie laughing so hard? <laughs> Amen. Super common. <laughs> I didn't know you were on Twitter. That's fine. I was like, man, maybe it's a subtle push, wow. you know. I don't know what's happening. Everybody, guys. 
your total age. Yeah, there you go. It's like Mitch G underscore K or something. You don't know what it is? I don't use it anymore. It was so disappointing. <laughs> just stop using it. Sorry, I just, just, just made a cage. That's fine. That's fine. We'll talk about it later. Okay. So this story, even Mitch is not in control anymore. No. Totally lost everything. You don't want to talk about it now? No, it's fine. Uh, so this question we're going to answer together. Oh, i got to put this up here. What do we do? We're not going to do it, um, like, straight across for each of them. We're just going to say... Like, okay, if we, if this was, let's use both of them. If this was all true about God, and this is all true about God, and, like, we fully believe that, like, what would, here's a question I want to answer, um, how would you be responding to him? Um, how would you uh, feel toward him? So if the negatives were true, is that what you're asking? Yep. If you believed all this was true about God. How would you be responding toward him, and what would you feel toward him? And think about responding toward him like uh, he promises you something, or he asks you to do something, or tells you to do something. Um, how would you respond to that, slash how would you feel? Kind of like disbelief? Or disbelief? Like not believe in him. Not, so, disbelief, distrust. Ignore. Ignore. I'd be hurt. Her. I, I think in this model you might try to please him. You could try to earn his yeah. attention or his favor. If he's this grumpy and cold. If, if he's fickle, then you're really working hard to keep him happy with you. So work hard to keep him happy. I feel like in general, or, work or hard, avoid right? that. So like, right, or avoid that. That's right. If he's not in control, I gotta work really hard. Oh, yeah. Or like, uh, I have to be in control. I have to please everything. Right. It would all come down to like you. Micromanage. Would be independent. How the what would be the action you want uh, independent? Act independently. Or, <laughs> 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 Act alone. Uh, yeah. I heard somebody say what micromanage? Micromanage. Or you micro over, overmanage or overmanage. Probably feel very stressed. Obsessed. Obsessed. Stressed. You feel stressed because, well, I need to like prove myself to him. I need control. I need approval. Be defensive toward him. Okay, I'd like you to do this. I'm fearful too. If you're worried about a guy who could cause you harm and he's not very kind, then you don't want to make him angry. Like you just constantly feel disappointed. Yeah, they might feel entitled. Like, what has God done for me? Like, mm -hmm. You may focus on the, like the glass is half empty mm. rather than half full. To be pessimistic or? Yeah. yeah. It's important to count your blessings. That would be the opposite of counting your blessings. Mm. Like, what was me? I don't know. You would be sure. Like, yeah, like a Murphy's Law thing. Like, oh, it always happens to me. You know, just woe is me bad stuff all the time. If you feel like God's ignoring you, you might feel like you're a victim, like mm -hmm. everything's, yeah, yeah. yeah. bitter and angry. Victim mentality. 
I feel alone. Yeah. Now, this guy's got everything and doesn't give me a thing. Yeah. Not believing in God. Sure. Yeah. Mm -hmm. I think in one way you can end up not believing in God at all. Mm -hmm. A cumulative effect. It's like, well, if that's the kind of God that exists. So unbelief. You're right. saying something a little different. I think Heather, you were saying, like, I wouldn't trust him to do what he says, but um, but I believe in this. I feel like it would also put a strain on like our relationship with others. Mm -hmm. like yeah, if you need like all this from people, mm -hmm. yeah, right. you'll use others, mm -hmm. I guess, or you'll be Not frustrated with them. So. I mean, you were alone. Frustrated? Use others, frustrated. It's pretty hard to control others, so frustrated. Try to fill in the gaps <laughs> for yourself. God's left a void behind. You try to fill it in yourself, either with others or yourself. Yeah, you fit that in up there. No, I'll put a fill needs. All right, that'll be the last one. Yeah. Our room. <laughs> um, yeah, so we could have done. You know, Emma brought up a good point. We could do. We were kind of focusing on God, but then we could do a whole thing. If these are the four things I believe about myself, I didn't get these from God. Now I got to get these some way. Like, how would I treat other people? You know, if you're, uh, you're like, I need control. I need my kids. I need my spouse. I need my coworkers. I need my whoever it is. I need them to do what I want them to do. Um, or I need approval. I need all these people to tell me I matter. Um, I need satisfaction. Like I need whatever you give to me from your relationship with me to fill me up and make me feel whole. Or I need to prove myself. Like if you just feel like this void of. Um, Nobody loves me. Like, you just be working to earn it um, with everybody in your life. And uh, there's, um, it's no secret that one of my favorite books and movies is Lord of the Rings. Um, and in one of them, um, two characters are being followed. Their story is being followed, Frodo and Sam. Um, and they're trying to take the ring to Mordor, throw it in Mount Doom, and destroy it. This ring, you know, this magical ring, it keeps the evil guy alive. He's kind of connected to it. So they want to get rid of it, um, destroy it. Um, and even though Frodo tried to sneak away in a boat to, like, do it himself, Sam comes running, and he's like, no, this isn't going to happen. Like, you're not going to sneak away and do this to yourself. He jumps in the river, even though he can't swim, and he's like, no, don't go alone. And he, like, floats to the, not floats, sinks to the bottom. He's going to die. He's like, even though he can't swim, he's trying to get to his friend to help him. And so he gets um, brought in the boat and he does go with Frodo. And this is a picture of Sam's dedication and love for Frodo. It's like, I'm going to go, you can't escape me. Like, I'm going to go with you in this to the end. And I'm like totally committed to you. Um, but as the journey towards Mount Doom um, continues to destroy this ring, there's this twisted creature named Gollum who becomes their guide. And it's like, he's trouble, um, but they kind of like subdue him um, and because he fights with them and they kind of like beat him and they're like, okay, you're going to lead us there. We don't know the way. Um, but as they're, they're going, um, Frodo, he kind of begins to trust Gollum more and more, but Sam doesn't. He's like, yeah, something's up with this guy. Like he shouldn't be trusted. Um, and then Gollum eventually tells Frodo, um, hey, Sam wants to take the ring from you. Like that's what he's going to try to do at some point. And so Frodo kind of begins to be like, okay, and watches Sam. Um, and then there's this, this scene that's just heartbreaking. They're asleep on the side of this mountain. Um, Gollum gets, 
wakes up and sneaks down in the middle of the night, takes the last of their food, and he kind of like crumbles it on Sam, then he throws the rest over the cliff, and then um, Sam wakes up, he's like, hey, what are you doing? And then he goes to make breakfast, and he's like, what? All the food is gone. Um, and then Frodo's like, what? Where is it? And then he's like, he must have, you know, Gollum must have eaten it. And then he's like, but I don't eat that kind of food. I eat my own kind of food. And then he's like, wait, there's crumbs on Sam. And then Frodo's like, you ate all the food, Sam. You ate it all. Um, and then Sam kind of freaks out on Gollum. He's like, he did it. He's lying to us. And he kind of starts beating him up. And then Frodo's like, no, no, don't do that. We need him. Um, and then uh, the, he's kind of collapse Frodo kind of collapses on the ground in exhaustion and Sam's like well I could I could carry the ring for a little while like it's such a big burden like let me carry it for a while and at that moment he's remembering you know, what Gollum said he's going to try to take it from you and then so Frodo pushes him away and is like he's like no get away from me you're not going to do this he's like what no I only want to help and then Gollum's like see I told you he'd take it and then of course, Frodo, Sam's like, no, he's the one, he's the liar, he's poisoned you against me. And then now Frodo's kind of totally switched and he tells Sam, you can't help anymore. And then through tears, Sam says, well, you don't mean that. And Frodo just says to him, go home, Sam. And at this, Sam just begins to cry. Um, because, and Frodo and Gollum go off in this cave into the dark alone. And it's a striking story because Sam's character never changed. He just loved Frodo the same throughout. He was so committed to Frodo and it never changed. He's, I'm here with you to the end. I want to help. I love you. I want to help you with this and I don't want you to do this alone. Um, and what had changed was Frodo's perception of Sam because Gollum had poisoned Frodo <clears throat> to believe lies about Sam. And though th these are lies, Gollum deceived Frodo into thinking Sam was against him and wanted to take from him um, something that he literally called his precious, something that was precious to him. As we think about our issues, the good news um, is that God is great, he is glorious, he is good, and he is gracious. He truly is all these things. He's better than we can imagine. And the problem is we believe lies about him. His character has never changed. This is, this is still what God is like. This is still what God does. Um, this is no longer who we are until we trust in Christ, no longer we do until we trust in Christ, but God is still the same, but the issue is that the serpent, um, who we later learn is Satan, um, has poisoned us against him. He's filled us with lies and deceptions, so now we think, you know, God is against me, and he's trying to just take from me all the things I want in life, and when, as long as we believe lies about God, our lives are going to look like that plant, <laughs> the dead plant, um, but because the principle is when we doubt and reject God, we're going to wither and die. But then the opposite is when we trust and love God, we will flourish and we're going to live. And so what's the key for moving from dead to alive? And Jesus said it simply, repent and believe the good news. And Jesus fully showed that God, God's greatness, God's gloriousness, God's goodness, God's graciousness. Jesus put it all on display. One of the reasons Jesus did come to die, um, but one of the big reasons he came was to fully reveal who God is, to give this perfect picture of this is what God is really like. He's the perfect picture of it. So what kind of God do we worship if we were just looking at Jesus? Well, he's the kind of God who heals the sick, who has compassion on the wandering, who invites little children to be with him, who calms storms and wind. You know, he's in control and waves, and he can make dead people come to life, and he confronts corruption and wickedness and people stealing from other people. And he transforms people's lives. And most importantly, he's a God who loves sacrificially. He's the kind of God who 
dies the death his enemies deserve. It's not like, you know, we're just sort of these people hanging around in the universe and God's like, you know what, I'm going to have compassion on them. No, we're his enemies because we rebelled against him. And then God says, I'm going to die the death my enemies deserve so that they can be forgiven of this horrible thing that they've done. So he goes to the cross to die the shameful death of a criminal that we deserve. And so we can be forgiven when we surrender our lives to him. And that's the picture that Jesus shows us of what God is like. And so, you know, you maybe wonder, like, well, why are people attracted to Jesus? Like, even if people are kind of like, you know, I'm not really going to give my life to him, but, like, Jesus, he was a good guy. Like, why are people attracted to that? And it's because he's a picture of what we so desperately, desperately long for. Like, we long for someone to be in our life who is these things. This is what we want God to be. You know, we made that list last week. What makes someone trustworthy? What makes someone lovable? And like all those are characteristics of God, and we want to find that um, in people. And we desperately long to be at home with God. And Jesus is a picture of the God that we want. And Jesus' invitation to people is repent and believe the good news. And to repent means um, to turn or to change one's mind. And so he tells them, you know, turn from the lies you're believing about God. Change your mind, your perceptions, your thinking of what God is like. Stop believing all these lies about him. Turn from him. And so the, the key to moving from here to here, turn from all these lies you believe about God. And then start believing the good news that this is what God's really like. God is great. God is glorious. He's good. He's gracious. And this is what he does. And if this is what he does and you trust in him, this is what's all true of you. And so we need to turn from these lies and these perceptions, the ways that Satan has poisoned us against God, and turn and believe the good news that this is what God is truly like. And he's offering us forgiveness and love beyond our wildest dreams. And so, as you think about yourself for this week, um, we're going to focus on these four G's a lot. Um, and I'm going to pass these out. Um, we passed them out last week. You can take another one if you want. There's plenty of copies. But you know, which of these do you believe, need to believe the most this week? You know, where, maybe you look over here and say, like, well, which one, you know, where am I falling on here? Like, do I kind of think God's weak? Do I think he's distant? Do I think he's unimportant and unimpressive because I don't pay much attention to him? Do I think he's a party pooper or dishonest or bad? Do I think he's grumpy and cold? Um, connect that. They're lined up. You know, so this is great, glorious, good, gracious. Which one of these do you struggle with the most? Um, and then you know, memorize the, the G that goes along with that this week. Um, and just keep repeating it to yourself and pray about it and maybe try to look up scriptures about it even. Nick read Psalm 145 for us and he said you know, they hit all four of them. And a lot of Psalms you can, you find, you can find these characteristics in there. So I'll pass these out for you. Um, and I'll let you, we'll just take a minute, you can look at it and just pray for them uh, a little bit and think about which one you need the most this week to believe. Let's just take 60 seconds and just pray, like, which one of these, God, do I need to be reminded of and believe this week?
you think about <clears throat> people in your life, uh, do you know people who are feeling these things? I think we all would, because we know each other. So, and then there's probably a lot of other people who are feeling all these things um, towards other people, towards God in general. Um, and going as messengers means we're helping people to repent and believe, because the people in your life, um, they don't know God, uh, and they've been, they've been poisoned uh, against him. They're filled with wrong perceptions, and lies about who he is. And evangelizing and telling people about Jesus is as simple as helping them turn from these lies to believe the good news. And, you know, people are walking around with all these beliefs about God. Um, even think about, like, oh, I can't believe in you know the Bible because it uh, talks about miracles. And it's like, well, they think God is weak and distant. And he can't do the things that he says he can do. Um, so, you know, that's even just one thing. And so people are... Um, we need to help them turn from these lies about God and to believe the good news. Um, and the gospel isn't good advice. It's good news about who God truly is and what he's truly done um, in and through Jesus. And God sends us out as messengers of this good news, calling people to turn from the lies and to believe the good news. Because um, we're not talking just about a person and talking about like, hey, you're going to you know, go to hell if you don't believe this. It's like, actually, you get to, like, we're trying to help people move away from this God um, false God they believe in to believe the good news about the true God. As we close, homesickness, it feels like wandering and looking for rest and acceptance and belonging and security and safety significance. When we're homesick, we're looking for all these things. Um, and God in Genesis is telling us about how he's beginning, uh, started this plan to bring us home to him. And a disciple, you could say, is someone learning to come back home, to find their home in God, to say, okay, this is um, I'm at rest, I'm at peace, I'm settled, I'm at home with God. You call that faith, you know, settling in at home or something like that, you call faith. Um, but let's, let's pray. Father thinks that the lies we believe about you are not true, and that you've given us the Bible because we suppress the truth, and we exchange the truth about you for lies, and we exchange the glory of our creator for created things. And so thank you for the word. Um, thank you for the spirit. Um, both of them impress upon us uh, that there is good news that you haven't changed um, and you're still waiting with open arms to all who, for all who would receive you. And so would you help us um, to keep leaning more into your open arms um, and enjoying and loving who you are. It's your son's name we pray. Amen.